All right, in case you're, you're looking at me and you're wondering if you're at the right church and you're saying, well, I, I came to Highlands, I was expecting Joseph Wheat to be up there. Who is this guy? Is he at the right church? You're, you're at Highlands, you're at Highlands PCA, you're at the right church. Don't go anywhere. Uh, my name is Jodder Santos, like Joseph said, in case you missed that. I'm the, the leader of the young adults here at Highlands. I have been for three and a half, four years, uh, and it's just, it's been a huge pleasure to be here. Um, before we get started, I need to tell you a little story, and this will be good <clears throat> because I can get to brag a little bit on, on your pastor, on Joseph, and on the church itself. Um, ever since I got here, Joseph has been discipling me. Joseph has been uh, really dedicating a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy uh, in discipling me and helping me and, and just teaching me and everything that I need. And church planting and leadership and communication and preaching. You name it, he's got it. I needed it and he taught me it, you know. Um, and there was one time where I had finished going through uh, preaching classes in seminary and I approached Joseph and I said, Joseph, you know, I need, I need a little bit more help. I need, I need some practice. I need you to help me with uh, communicating and, and learning how to preach and stuff like that. And right away he said, yeah, no problem. Uh, I'll, make some, I'll make some time in my schedule. And we would get together for, for a couple of weeks, for some hours. We would come into the sanctuary, uh, just the two of us. And I would come up here in the, in the pulpit and he would sit down there and I would preach. And he would help me. Uh, with my tone. He would help me with illustrations, with my movement, with my hand movement, uh, just so many things. And there was one time of these that I was up here and we were doing that, and we were sort of working on uh, just moving around in stage presence, and so I wouldn't stay fixated behind the pulpit and hiding back here a little bit. And I was feeling pretty good. I was moving around. I was feeling pretty confident. And I got to one point where I approached this first uh, the, these first stairs right here are a little bit close, and, and Joseph goes, hey, hold on, you don't, you don't want to fall. Don't get too close. You could fall from those stairs. And I was, you know, it was good advice, but, but I probably dreamt like three or four times after that that I was up here preaching, and I fell from these stairs. Uh, you know, I wake up in a pool of sweat, and it was traumatizing, and uh, no, that, that really did happen. So if I don't get too close to these stairs, you know why. If I start moving backwards a little bit, that trauma sort of came to mind. Um, no, but in all, in all seriousness, Joseph and Gina have been uh, like parents to, to Louisa and I, um, and grandparents to Benjamin. And they have really dedicated so much time and love and, and effort to the both of us. Our time here has been incredible. Uh, we, we are without words to describe how great it's been. Um, and Highlands has been like a family to us. Our, our time here has, has just been really, really great. Uh, Y'all have, have poured love and, and, just, and time uh, to us as well. And the more I thought about how I could communicate how important uh, y'all have been, the more I came to the conclusion that this is the best way I can do that. Uh, this right here. It's the best thing that I can offer you. It's the best thing that I can that I can give you and demonstrate how important you have been in my life and how important you've been in Louisa's life. And I understand how that sounds. It's not because I'm a great preacher or the best communicator or anything like that. 
um, it's, it's really because this is the word of God. This right here in my hand and what you have as well, this is the word of God. It has transformed my life. I know it's transformed Joseph's life, and I know it's transformed a lot of your lives as well. And this is the best thing. This time right here that we can meditate on God's word is the best thing that I can, I can imagine that we can have together and that I can give you. So let's, without further ado, let's please bow your, your, your head and, and let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you, God, for your word. And I thank you just for this time that I can have with my brothers and sisters and that we can meditate upon your word. I ask you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit be with us, that your Holy Spirit apply your word to our hearts and transform us and, and help us to understand your word and to trust in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as you know, this is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, we've lit, I think the, the first candle is the prophecy candle, and the names that we've gotten for the Christ child are from Isaiah 9, verse 6. We've had a couple of these verses uh, read in the Advent reading, and we're going to read uh, Isaiah 9, 1 through 6 today. So please open your Bibles to Isaiah 9, 1 through 6. Isaiah 9, 1 through 6. Thus says the word of God. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations, you, the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor for you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." All right, so this is a wonderful chapter. It's a marvelous, uh, marvelous verses that tell us about the birth of the Christ child. But for us to understand what it's talking about, we need to understand a little bit of what the book of Isaiah is and what's going on in the history of the people of God right now. And the book of Isaiah is a prophetic book. And Isaiah, he was a prophet. He would speak to the kings at this time. There was a lot going on. And really, he would interpret the historical events in light of what God was telling him. So really, the, the overall message of the book of Isaiah is God is sovereign. All of these things are going on. There's all these historical events going on. Everything that's happening in the world is under God's sovereignty. This is God's plan for his people. And as these things happen and as these things unfold, Isaiah is telling the people and he's telling the kings to trust in the Lord. 
all the time. He's saying, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, turn back. Do not trust in the things that you see. Do not trust in the rulers, but instead trust in the Lord. All right? Uh, for us to see, for us to understand a little bit the message, we need to understand the historical context as well and what's happening to the people. And verse 1 of chapter 1, you don't need to turn your, your Bibles there, but it sort of, it gives us an idea of when this happened. And this is what it says, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And here it is. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So we know that all these things, these 66 chapters of Isaiah and all these prophecies happened and were, were prophesied in the time of these four kings, these four kings of Judah, okay? So at this time, the people of Israel are split. You have the northern nation of Israel, and then you have the southern nation of Judah. They're split into two nations. And it's important for us to understand that right above Israel, you have Assyria, and right below Judah, you have Egypt. Okay, so just have in your mind, you have Assyria, Israel, Judah, and Egypt. And they, they, Judah and Israel are in a very strategic geographical location. But at the same time, they have enemies to their north and enemies to their south. At the time of Uzziah, he was the first king of Judah, they experienced relative peace. So the people of God are experiencing peace. They don't have any threats. Nothing is really happening. There's, they're, they're okay. Assyria at that time, they didn't know who was going to be the king. They were experiencing uh, other peoples trying to invade their land as well. So they're preoccupied with defending themselves and preoccupied with who's going to be the successor. Egypt at the same time isn't the same Egypt it used to be. It's not the strong nation that it was when it took the Israelites captive anymore. It's weakened. So Judah is in relative peace during the reign of Uzziah. He reigned for 51 years. However, towards the end of his reign, five years before he dies, Assyria gets a new king. Uh, so they, they're not anymore scrambling to figure out who's going to take the throne, but Tiglath-Pileser III takes the throne. That's a great name for you to name your children or, or other people's children, maybe not your own. But he takes the throne, and now Assyria has a king, and they have a leader, and they have someone who can point them in a direction. Not only that, but the, one of the first things he does is he, he defends Assyria. He takes over those northern tribes who are, who are trying to invade. So Assyria is starting to become a little bit stronger. After that, after he, takes, he defends Assyria and he takes the throne and he, he becomes their leader, he sort of turns his attention to the west and to the south and he starts conquering people and he starts taking over land and he starts uh, making war. And it's scary. And the neighboring people are looking over there and saying, wow, Assyria is getting pretty big. They have a big army. They're getting stronger. And they start paying tribute to him so that he won't invade their own lands. You know, sort of, hey, be nice to me. I'll give you money. That's what they're doing. Uh, and Israel and Judah are doing this as well. They're paying uh, the Assyrian king, Tiglath-Pileser III. I just like saying that. Um, so he won't attack them. And it gets to a point where Israel and Syria, not Assyria, but Syria, they say, hey, 
I don't like paying tribute. I don't like having to pay taxes. This, this isn't nice. You know, let's, why don't we form an alliance and we try to attack Assyria and we try to get rid of Assyria? But before, let's talk to Judah. Let's see if, he will, if Judah will join us as well. And the three of us can attack Assyria and we'll get rid of this, you know, th- this oppression. And during this time, Isaiah is, Ahaz has now taken the throne of Judah. And Isaiah is still preaching, do not do that. Do not trust in your own strength. Do not trust in your armies. Do not trust in alliances. Trust in the Lord. He has promised that he will take care of his people. And we don't need an alliance. So Ahaz, the king of Judah, says, no, I will not join you. He doesn't join Israel and Syria. And what happens is Israel and Syria say, okay, you're not going to join us. Then we'll attack you. And we'll, and we'll take Ahaz off the throne and put someone there who will join us so that we can attack Assyria. And that's what they do. They attack Judah uh, because, they didn't, because Judah did not join them. And Judah takes a lot of losses. They, have, they had a strong army. They had around 350,000 men who were fighting for them. But in one single battle, they lose almost half of their whole army. They lose around 120,000 people. So now Judah is really weakened. They're still paying tribute. They're weakened. They have Israel and Syria knocking at their gates and wanting to invade. And Ahaz is tempted to talk to the Assyrian king and seek for help. At the same time, Isaiah is saying, do not do that. Do not seek an alliance. God will save you. God will protect you. He has promised this. He has promised to take care of his people. But Ahaz doesn't listen, and he asks Assyria, their first enemy, said, hey, help us out. I'm paying you tribute, you know, help me. Israel and Syria are attacking me, and he does. But when, I, when, Syria, when Assyria does that, he takes over Israel, he takes over lands of Israel, he takes over Syria, he makes them pay heavy tribute to him, and then now you don't have Assyria, Israel, and Judah anymore, you just have Assyria and Judah. And Assyria is really, really close. And Assyria is knocking at their front gates. Not only that, but the Assyrian king, because he helped and because he helped defend Judah, now he requires really heavy taxes on Ahaz and on Judah. So they're weakened economically, their, their army is weak, and they have an enemy right there knocking at their gates. And it's in this point that we arrive in this chapter. It's at this point. This is what has been going on. So really, Isaiah, if you read it from chapter 1 to chapter 9, the people are scared, and the people of God have turned away from God and are trusting in other things. If you read uh, before chapter 9, it says that they have turned their back, that they are seeking necromancers and mediums, that they are worshiping other gods instead of worshiping the Lord. And Isaiah, during this time, his message is, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And the same message that Isaiah has for them is the same message that he has for us nowadays. And it's trust in the Lord. And, and the first point is because the Lord is our only hope. Trust in him because he's our only hope. And trust in him because he will prevail. But first, God is writing this God is communicating to his people through his prophet Isaiah, and he's saying there's darkness and gloom. Everything is dark. People are almost invading. The walls are crumbling. Uh, Assyria is right at the gates. 
and the people have turned their backs on him. And God is saying, I brought you up as little children. I have brought you up. I have protected you. I have helped you. And now you've turned your backs on me. And like a child, like you see when a child grows up and abandons his parents, that's the description that God gives for his people. His people have turned away. They are worshiping other gods. They are trusting in other things. And this leads to desperation. The more they trust in other things, the more desperate they become and more afraid they become. And it's sort of this vicious cycle. I don't know about you, but does this situation sound a little bit familiar? Political unrest, rulers you can't trust, armies are dwindling, darkness and gloom, and you look around and nothing's really working, the economy isn't going well. Does this sound familiar to any of you? I think the last two years, and Joseph mentioned that a little bit before, have been pretty similar to this. You know, not, we've seen in the, in the U.S., in this nation, sort of a, a nation divided. And, and no one really knows uh, who the leader is going to be and who the leader should be. People have different opinions. The people themselves, their values are divided. Uh, there's darkness. There's gloom. People are taking to the streets and literally burning and destroying public property because they think their voices have to be heard. People are taking assault weapons and going out in the street to defend themselves. And whatever your opinion on those things is, what we can say is people are desperate. People have become desperate. We live in desperate times. And things are a little chaotic right now. And there's darkness and there's gloom. And it seems like we're going to be invaded at any moment. And this isn't only happening here in this nation. This is happening as well in Brazil. This is happening as well around the world and around all the nations. And this is exactly what's happening to God's people in this book in Isaiah and when he delivers this message. And it only, only leads to desperation. I have never seen God's people so desperate as I have these last two years. Christians who believe in God, who trust in God, who proclaim that God is their Savior, becoming desperate when they see the circumstances around them, when they see the economy crumbling, when they see the leadership not really leading, when they see unrest in the political situation. And again, not only Christians here, but Christians in Brazil and Christians all over the world. We've become desperate. Things aren't working around us, and we don't know what to do. In the beginning of this year, um, my, my father got COVID in Brazil, my father in Brazil, and, and I appreciate Highlands uh, prayed for him, and he's doing better. He recovered from that, but it was a very difficult time for me. Uh, he got COVID. He has chronic pneumonia, and COVID affects the lungs, so we were really worried about him, and we were really worried what was going to happen. And I remember there was one Saturday night. I was going to preach the next morning, so I was sitting in my kitchen and just looking over my notes, and my brother called me. I have an older brother from Brazil. He gives me a call, and he says, hey, um, the nurse just called me, and she said that dad's lung capacity is at 50%. Uh, he's, he's at the hospital. He's on respirators. He's not doing well. His, you know, his lung capacity dropped. And I got really worried, uh, obviously. I started looking for tickets to go back already to Brazil to be with him. Uh, and he said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, he lives in another state. He said, tomorrow morning, I'm going to go first thing in the morning to, so I can be with mom. 
can you wake up tomorrow morning and tell her the news and just let her know that I'm going to be there and everything? So I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And I did. Um, and then Louisa and I proceeded to, to go preach. We were going to preach in Natchez, or I was going to go preach in Natchez. And Louisa was driving, and along the way, we were driving on Natchez Trace, and the only thing I could think about was my father. The only thing that I could think about was that I just, I just longed to be with him so much. Uh, I, I, it, I think the, the scariest thing in my mind was that he would pass, and I wouldn't get to see him before. And I longed to be with him. I just wanted to be with him so bad. And, and it was really interesting at that moment. It was like God was speaking to me. And he said, oh, this, this is what, do you long to be with me like you long to be with your father now? And really, when we look at the situation, when we look at the circumstances around us, when we look at the Christians here in Isaiah, and when we look at the Christians nowadays, I would say that our greatest problem isn't really necessarily the things outside of us and what's happening and the circumstances and what's going on around us, but it's inside of us. The greatest problem is our perspective. The greatest problem is that we don't long to be with the Father as we should. And we don't trust the Father as we should. Instead, we trust politics. Instead, we trust economy. Instead, we trust the strength of this country. Instead, we trust our own strength. And when those things dwindle and when those things don't work and when those things come crumbling down, we become desperate. But at the same time, Isaiah, his message is saying, trust in the Lord. He is our only hope. He is the only one who can save us. He is the only one who can protect us. It's exactly the same situation. The message is the same. Not only that, but Isaiah says, trust in the Lord because he's our only hope and trust in the Lord because he will prevail. The Lord will prevail. He will be victorious. And now there's, there's two sides to this message, to the fact that God will prevail and his plans will prevail. And the first is of judgment. And we see this in Isaiah. We see this in, the, in this book. God is telling his people, you have abandoned me. You have turned your back on me. And I will win. And if you're not with me, then you're against me. And that means you're not going to win. That means you will lose. That means judgment for you. At the same time, as God is speaking judgment, he's speckling it, and he's laying in offers of grace, and he's pulling his people to come to him. In chapter 1, we see this. Uh, God says in verse 18 of chapter 1, he says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So God is saying, you come to me, let's talk. What's going on? You abandoned me, you turn your back on me, and he's saying, well, come here. Sit here, let's talk about this. Let's, let's reason together. What's happening? I can trust in me. I am the one who can save you from these things, not anything else. Guys, if you're here today and you haven't, placed your full trust in the Lord and you don't call him your savior this is what this means for you God is calling you right now today to trust in him the other side of this if you have deposited your trust in the Lord if you, have, if you do call him your savior the other side of the fact that God will prevail and his plans will prevail 
is reassurance for you. He is speaking to Christians. There are people who have deposited their faith in the Lord and they're suffering. His people are suffering and we look around and we see all this darkness and this gloom sort of surrounding us and coming in and God is saying, don't worry. I will prevail. I will establish my kingdom. I will be king. Though we look now to rulers who aren't fair, who aren't just, who aren't righteous, I will be the ruler and this will become true. And that's what he's saying. And then we see that in the chapter we just read in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Verse 2 as well, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Guys, this is the message of the gospel. Though we turn our backs on God, he does not turn his, backs on, his back on us. Not only that, but he offers grace and mercy at every turn. And he says, let's talk about it. Come to me. Put your trust in me. Repent of your sins, and I will wash you. And I will be your king, and I am a just king. And that is wonderful. And God gives us his son, and he's faithful and demonstrates his faithfulness up until the point of the cross. Where the judgment should be, that should be upon us for betraying God is upon his son. And he offers mercy and he offers grace. It's wonderful. It's all surpassing. It's beyond anything. And with Jesus, when talking about Jesus, he is like no other. He has done what no one else can do. And he will be a ruler like no other. And he will be a wonderful, wonderful ruler. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for your patience, for your grace and your mercy that you have upon us and that you demonstrate to us every single day. Lord, we ask you that you might help us to trust in you. I ask you that you might help us, Lord, that although we look around us and we see everything crumbling down and we see politics not working and the economy and and the whole nation divided, Lord, help us to change. Help us to change our eyes and our perspective and look to you. Look to you as our Savior. Look to you as our ruler and trust in you, Lord, because you are our only hope and we know that you will prevail. Help us, God, to love you and to walk with you, God, so that we will be with you in eternity. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.